1: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast.
2: It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, learn some things you didn't know. Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a pickle, or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith
1: Walsh Podcast,
2: yeah. Hello, hello, and happy new year to you all once again. Let me just uh let me just move this this uh headphone thing from there to there. Sorry about all this now. Oh that's better. That's much better. Happy New Year once again. Uh if you haven't listened to episode forty six, which was also put out on New Year's Day, I'm saying Happy New Year to you now. This is episode forty seven of the Keith Walsh podcast with me, Keith Walsh. How are you? Are you well? I am very well. I'm enjoying I enjoyed a very a very sober Christmas and now it's New Year's and I'm sober still as in like I didn't drink last night, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. My wife was saying, God, it flew by and normally Christmas and holidays fly by, don't they? But um for some reason for me, maybe it was because I wasn't drinking. It didn't fly by and not in a bad way. I just Yeah, I just uh I just enjoyed every minute of it. Um So what's the crack? What's happening? Who are we? Where where's my head? Let me just find my um Let me just find my uh Oh, I had my notes right there, and I can't find them. Excuse me here now. This is very bad that I'm doing this. There we go. Uh, So, yeah, so um, last year, 2020, at the start of 2020, I was working on RT around New Year's, and I was doing the very early breakfast show, which meant I had to be up very early. So, anyway, I decided to not drink, and then I was going to do Dry January, and then I thought, you know what, I'm going to do 100 days of no booze i may have mentioned that on the podcast several times um so yeah so i've i did it and you know, i didn't really drink for much of the rest of the year and continued to not drink through christmas and new year's and i've enjoyed it so there you go what can i say i've enjoyed it it's been nice i've saved a few quid um saved myself some embarrassment embarrassing moments and yeah i feel i feel a lot better i'm doing a bit of work on my head so you know i think it helps um so I was very interested to read an article in the Irish Independent by a lady called Siobhan Murray. Now, Siobhan Murray, according to her um, Instagram page, which is called Twisting the Jar, she explains in the chat that I'm about to have with her what Twisting the Jar means and where it came from. Um, Siobhan is a resilience coach and psychotherapist. She's a burnout expert. In fact, she wrote a book about burnout, which I mentioned in the chat. Uh, speaker, thinker and writer. Uh, the book is called The Burnout Solution. It's available at Gill books and uh yeah twisting the jar is her instagram page if you want to give her a follow very interesting lady anyway i saw this article that she wrote in the independent about the fact that she hadn't had a drink in 13 years she used to work in the music industry uh she used to work with the likes of goldie and elton john and yeah she had quite the life uh in london working on the music biz on the music scene and enjoying herself um but then she decided uh or rather well, somebody, either the booze decided or she decided, either way, it was given up. They parted ways, and that's why I wanted to talk to her, um, kind of about that, about her life. Uh, it was very, very interesting to talk to her anyway, um, and we had a lot in common, but not what she thought we had in common, which me- um, which meant we, start, we, got, we got off to a bit of a misunderstanding, um, but uh, I, I explain exactly what happened. Uh, this is episode forty-seven of the Keith Watch Podcast. Happy New Year to you, and I hope you have a good year. Uh, I'll be back with uh, all the details of what you need to do and what I what I'd like you to do for the podcast, which is much uh, after this chat with Siobhan Murray. Enjoy.
0: I'm good. I'm good. I didn't realise sort of bizarre similarities. Um, we're both mixed race, Irish mixed race.
2: No. No. Uh,
0: where's your father from? Mom's so from.
2: yeah, so this is has create caused a bit of confusion. Yeah, my my account was taken over. Uh, so uh, somebody I know did a takeover to to talk about uh, racism in Ireland, ah. and her name was Emma O'Neill. So I had a lot of people saying to me. Actually, one person got annoyed at me like this is. This is tone deaf. This is tone deaf, <laughs> Keith. What are you at? I said, No, this is, if you're because a lot of the times people just glance at Instagram and you know, you, you look at the first line. But, um, so she does this thing where she takes over people's accounts yeah. have have a good few followers and she talks about racism, you know, to a new audience. And, uh, it's quite good, it's very interesting. But yeah, so she grew up mixed race in Ireland and, uh, Just spoke, she just took over my account for three days, talked about that, talked about the problems.
0: Uh how old is she out of curiosity?
2: She would be uh late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. So Um, it would be
0: very very different because I'm 51 51. And so my dad would have come over from South Africa in mid-60s. So me growing up as mixed race in St. Louis and Rathmines, I was the only non- fully white uh, school girl in the whole school. So it was, you know, it was it would have even been it was very rare for that level um, of multicultural families way back then in the late 60s, early 70s.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's totally different now, but I mean, I do remember uh, a doctor and I grew up in Athlone and there was, there was a, there was a guy, a black man who lived in Athlone and he, he was, the, they were the only, mm. uh, his, his son went to school with me and he was the only, Yeah, he was, he was mixed race, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was unusual, but I don't remember it being a thing, you know, um, mm. but obviously it, it wasn't, it didn't affect me in any way. So I just got on with my life. Um are you okay that I've started recording, Sean?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Um did it was it was it a bad experience then, or how you
0: know, you know it was interesting. It, it's funny. I look at you know, you see the levels of racism now. Um, I would have been called jungle bunny. You know, there would have been, but it's funny, you look back now and you kind of go, they were nearly terms of endearment. As opposed to people standing, throwing stones at you across the road. Um, I, I do remember being in H. Williams in Upper ratmines Road um, with my dad. My parents separated when I was five. So I was one of those weekend um, with my dad kids. And I remember somebody um, not being very nice to him. I would have only been six or seven and and being very protective of them, But even then, I think because he, you know, anyone who was in Dublin, like as you said, anyone that was here, they'd come to study. So they were nearly this exotic, whether they were men or women, it was predominantly men who would have been sent over, young men, but they were these exotic creatures um so they the the level of racism back then wasn't the way it is now very different now
2: Mm -hmm. and probably depends on what where you lived and what circles you were moving in and you know who your friends were some some and some societies some parts of society are more open-minded as well and uh, I'd imagine for the likes of you know someone like Paul McGrath might have been a totally different you know he was in he was in uh, in foster homes and uh, stuff like that. So, but yeah, but I, I mean, it's but now I think it's only that people who people are getting worried, and this is you know, it's sort of feeding it. It's we're being told this thing that's you know, the, you know that they're coming to take over, you know, whoever they are, you know, and uh, whatever they're going to take over, because obviously Ireland is such a brilliant country, everyone wants to take it over. Um, and to, <laughs> that's, where, that's what feeds into the fear of people who are susceptible to fear. And that's why, that's why you're getting the racism you're getting now, which is-, it's which very is
0: much, And it's very much based, I mean, I think the word ignorance and ignorant is such a harsh word. We think of ignorance as being a bad word, but actually it's, it, it's a great word because I mean, I'm ignorant about lots of things, which means I'm, there's times I have to educate myself um, and whether that's on cooking or racism or ageism or you know, understanding something I don't understand, that means I'm ignorant, whereas we even use that word in such a derogatory way when people don't know something, whereas it actually just means there's an opportunity to learn something new about something you don't know about.
2: Yeah. And yeah, it's that a lot of the time it is an ignorance, just just a lack of of knowledge about. I was in. Um, I was in Kenya the year before last, and I I spoke to uh, on the on this podcast, I spoke to a guy, um, Dunga is his name, and he he grew up on the streets of uh, of Kenya. And I had him on the podcast just to sort of explain to people what life is like when you live in downtown Nairobi you know um those people can't leave downtown Nairobi to get to uptown Nairobi let alone leave Kenya let alone leave get up over the other side of the equator towards Europe like for anybody to imagine that these people spend their time trying to figure out a way to get to Ireland is ridiculous they're mostly spending their time trying to figure out how to eat and where to sleep that night um but anyway, it's it, 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 you know you, you look. You have to educate yourself. But then, like with something like this, a podcast, you're probably pe- I'm probably preaching to the converted. Um, your article in the Independent uh, struck a chord of me because I haven't really, um, and I think uh, most of our chat today will be about the drink, the drink, uh, the booze. Um, I haven't really been drinking... I haven't really had a drink this year, uh, and. I've decided I made a conscious decision not to drink for Christmas because that would have been a time where, I, you know, I would have thought, well, I've gotten through the year. I can enjoy myself now, you know, guilt free for Christmas. But actually, I, I I was I'd gotten to a point where I, I enjoyed the feeling of not drinking um, more than uh, drinking, you know, more than the buzz that I knew the few even just a couple of beers. You know, I enjoyed being with myself as I was rather than the buzz I'd get two or three beers in. Um, So I decided not to drink for Christmas and I'd probably continue it into next year as well. Um, Give us a little bit of, of your background because I know you worked in the music industry. Tell us a little bit about that Siobhan.
0: So I started out in the good old music industry here in Ireland, in Dublin, but again, and I think most of my career, even where I am now has all been, uh, I kind of fell into it. So um, I was asked to, to work for just a short period of time for uh, MCD on Faila 90.
2: No. And <laughs> if I'd known you back then, she was, I could have got <laughs> the tickets or something.
0: <laughs> well, um, and it was back in the day where you had about 15 different hats, not two different hats, you know, you'd be. You'd be working on one gate at a gig, and then you'd somebody had say to you, "But I'm sure I saw you over there," and you would have flown over to the other side of the stadium to do something else. And you know it was great, and it was it was much smaller. Um, I, mean, I I have such amazing memories. Like I can't tell you it it was it was really was the best crack. But I suppose I was already using alcohol without realising it, no comprehension of what I was doing. Um, and I worked, I worked, I ended up working for a couple of years for MCD and then I really wanted to get into production. And just at the time, it was very male orientated here in Ireland. So off I went to, to the city where the streets are paved with gold, off to London, um, ended up temping in every single pretty much record company in London and and then ended up working. Initially, actually, I worked for Goldie first before I worked for Elton John. No way. I I I love Goldie. Oh, I I mean,
2: tell me about tell me about
0: Goldie. We could spend the whole time just talking about Goldie. He is, Do you know, actually, both of them. Isn't it interesting, Keith? Both of them are clean and serene now. Um, Goldie is now a yogi in, um, in Thailand with his family. Still, I think, as mad as a cabbage. Um, still has all the gold teeth. I think he does a bit of work. He does some, some metalhead stuff as well, some of his music, but an incredible graffiti artist. Um, just a ball of fire and energy. And to be around that was i mean you literally you're sort of standing back going oh my god oh my god Um, and and it was amazing but at the time he was drinking and all the rest and and i was and so everything was very chaotic but i worked from him for him from his uh flat he lived on the 24th floor of a tower block called dorney tower in swiss cottage and the lift was always broken and at the time i drove a morris minor woody he drove he had two marks with the gold wheels and everything lowered down so i park my little 40 odd year old morris minor woody that went at 30 miles an hour beside these incredibly slick uh marks and trudge up the 24 flights of stairs every day Um, to the steel door and the dog called massive um, and, of you know, course. It was, yeah, of course. and, and it was, and he ran a, at the time, he also ran a nightclub on a Sunday called blue note. Um, so I was involved in that as well. And, you know, again, I, I didn't know what drum and bass was. Um, so it was all new experiences. It was, it was amazing.
2: Um, Fun, like, what was the uh, what was the day-to-day um what was the day-to-day level of imbibing or I, I don't want to be too specific as to what the drug of choice was be it booze or be it something else like what was your what was your work schedule like and what where did the social life work life meet was it like all the time was it just kind of like
0: it, it would have been I would say all the time I mean one of the jobs I used to get tasked with with from from goldie's manager at the time with to mind him um if we were at an event which was basically your job is to make sure that he gets out of here at midnight and get home which would never work um so you you know it's funny at times when you were working to that level you would actually keep your shit together um to a certain point but then you would be so fraught that by the time you actually got home or you got him home You could be up for another three or four hours in order to actually use whatever drug of choice was as the perceived distressor because you knew you had to do it all again tomorrow so um and and alcohol would have always in that part i mean definitely that was right up there no matter what alcohol not to the extent, funnily enough, as it would have played in my life, if, you know, roll on 20, 25 years later, where I really did use it uh, much more as a, uh, as a crutch. But, and then interestingly, I then worked for Elton John and yet another person who no longer drinks or. Or the other. Or the other, or, you know, I think he, he's still a little bit of a shopper, just a little bit of a shopper. Uh, <laughs> he, still,
2: he held on to one of his addictions. Yeah. I think he's, I think he's insane. Uh, he's got an insane music appetite. Like his, 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 um, his appetite for buying and and indulging in new music is like, he's still, he's still, it's still insatiable as far as I can tell.
0: And, and again, yet another, and I'm not saying this because I you know I've nothing to do with either of them anymore but I I, when I look back now at the time I probably didn't appreciate it but I look back now and go wow I actually worked for two pretty stunning artists like real artists Um, and he he definitely was an incredible person to work for um, and when I worked for him he was uh, he was aA he was clean so I didn't see that other side I didn't see sort of the drama and the chaos that would have been around around him um I mean it was still pretty chaotic working for him because he's very very demanding he's a perfectionist um and I think that then I could even see my own drinking starting to take um, a an increase um, in the way, when I look back now, in the way that I would have drunk. It would have been daily.
2: Because um, and from my experience of working in showbiz, uh, the business of show, uh, it's, you, there is an attitude of, well, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, this is showbiz, baby, and, you know, the demands are high, and you either handle it or you don't. So, what you feel is, if you can't handle it, you're weak. So, in order to handle it, you self-medicate to, yeah. to, to, to deal with it, and I presume that's what you were at at that that point.
0: Oh, be well! I, I and I do talk about this, and I say it, and I'm sure people raise their eyes to heaven and go, "Oh, Jesus, a bit of tree huggerish now." But what I didn't realize is now I can say it: I'm an introvert. So for me, bizarrely, 2020 has actually suited my being more so than I probably even speak about um, because I'm very comfortable in my own space. But in order to be around those incredibly social situations, whether that was working in an office within a show business environment or going to the gigs or going out for the dinners or doing all of those things that are that part and parcel of the job, you can't go, oh, I'll go to the office nine to five, but I'm not going to the dinners because it, it was part of it. Um, is in order to be able to walk through the front door of the dinner or the bar or the gig, I'd have to drink before I even got there. So no one really knew that. So they might see me getting absolutely jarred at the event. They didn't realize I'd had a bottle before I'd even left the house just to give me the the soak. Because all I wanted to do was be like everyone else and everyone else seemed to be having a great time. And I kept going, you know, I if, if I'll have another bottle or another drink, and then I'll have a great time. I'll be like everyone else.
2: Yeah, you never that. you never get quite get to that level, do you? you yeah. Never find that yeah. spot. And um, did it come to a head at any point, or like how did you? I mean, so so did you? So you, you worked with Gold. You worked with Elton John. Did you stay in the music industry? Did things change? Did you come back to Ireland?
0: I came back, um, I came back just after I was 30. It's actually nearly, God, nearly 20 years ago. I moved back, um, was, and actually one of the things I should say, and I don't, I actually forget to say this, um, whenever I'm talking about the drink, the, the drink, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> is through all of my 20s, and um, pretty much most of my 30s, I was also 16 years on antidepressants. So I was, here I was taking antidepressants every day because I was told by a GP I was depressed. And then I was taking a depressant every day just for good measure, um, you know, and, and, so I, and I think a lot of people do that. Um, they, they sort of self-medicate with the alcohol to help them out of the depression, but that actually just compounds how they're feeling. But I moved back um, in my early 30s from London back to Ireland and the music industry being much smaller here, um, unless you were going to work for the likes of U2 or um, back into MCD. And there were no jobs within those those big organisations, amazing companies, but it was people who had those jobs were, were very much in them. So I saw an ad in the paper to set up the, for charity manager for the Ronald McDonald children's charity and never done anything like this in my life. And, and I always say, I think I only got the interview because somebody looked at my CV and went, should we bring her in for the crack? That looks, that looks like she's done interesting stuff. But it was I actually loved it. I was housed in the McDonald's head office in Dublin But I was just me and my own. And there was a board, a committee board, but we worked to build the first Ronald McDonald House here in Ireland. And because of my connections within the music industry, we were able to have pretty decent charity balls. i got David Soul to play, um, to sing at one of them. I mean, mad like he was my first crush my first single was David Soul, um and a big star, original Starsky and Hutch fan. um and then the, the house got built in Crumlin and that was great and then I still drinking my head off still doing all the mad stuff um and I think it was it was getting harder and harder to keep it all together because it was nearly getting more corporate um, and then I got offered a job within McDonald's um, in communications for McDonald's Ireland. And sure, I thought, here's another job. Sure, that's great crack. She sure, will do that. We will give that an L whirl. And I would say, if any if any of my employers along the lines were listening to this, they'd say she was she was grand. She was grand. Terrible employee. <laughs> Terrible employee. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. It was so corporate. It was so brilliant. Again, really good company. And I will, I will, I'm not just saying that. Um, they are, as a, as a global company, they were very good. And the Irish leg of it was very good. Um, but I don't care whether you eat a Big Mac or not. I really, uh, I don't care how many calories are in the Big Mac. And to be that You know, whatever was rolled out in Ireland is rolled out in the UK, it's rolled out in the States. It was all very corporate. Um, And I think that's where I probably hit my biggest level of burnout, being so disengaged in what I was doing because it had nothing to do with me. And I mean, my daily drinking at that point was probably at its highest. That's where... More so, fully enough, than when I was in the chaotic music industry days. Um, But it had kind of nearly all been leading to one one path. But my drinking wasn't, much as I would go out and get hammered, Keith, my drinking was much more, I was thinking about this uh, this morning when I was knowing I was going to talk to you. And I remember a New Year's Eve, this way before I had the boys, and I was living in Sandy Mount. It was a few of us renting. And if everyone went out New Year's Eve, I stayed in and I must have had three bottles of wine on my own. And whoever I was going out, they were knocking trying to get me to open the door so they could come in and have the crack. And that was my idea of a nightmare. I just wanted to be on my own and drink. Mm. It was that very insular I just don't want to talk to people and that's kind of something what my drinking was like I was very very not say happy but it wasn't about going out and having the crack it was just about being in and self-medicating or self-drinking or
2: just sitting in it yeah 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 um and obviously the disconnect between the product you were working for, the company you work for as, as, as nice as they were, or what you were doing day to day, you know, that's, just, that's stressful because, and, and very often you don't realize that there's a disconnect until afterwards, you know, when you look back and you go, that's why I fucking struggled in that job because I just didn't, there was no connection. I didn't care about it. I didn't care what I was doing. And also I probably cared, you know, the it was probably it was probably the opposite for me. Like I, you know, I cared about everything except this particular product, which can be very difficult. But but there again, it's a tough business. You have to get on with it. You have to keep going. You know, there's you don't want to be seen to be weak. And and I often talk about men and mental health, but it's much the same for you know women with careers and uh, that you can't be seen to be weak. And probably more so for a woman in an in in, in a tough industry, especially with communications. The music industry, advertising, marketing—that's uh, a tough industry. And and if you're if you want to be seen as a you know a, a formidable person to deal with, mm. that can be that that can be a tough place to be because you can't then turn around to somebody and go I'm a formidable person to deal with, but actually I'm really struggling here at the moment. You know, you, there's no at what point do you admit to yourself that you're struggling? You know,
0: yeah, and it's you know it's only it's only when you hindsight such a great thing. I'm even thinking back as we're talking to, you know, the Christmases gone by, working within that, those industries and the Christmas lunches, and you'd have a Christmas lunch on a Tuesday, and you could have another one on a Wednesday. By Thursday, I was so three-day hungover that uh, even getting to the lunch. But the only way to get through the lunches was to drink. It, it was just, it was, it actually makes me feel it's no wonder I actually don't have an issue with thinking I'll ever go back drinking again because I could never go back to feeling like that at all. It's just, you know, this is my 14th Christmas just gone. And it is as each year goes by, I kind of think, well, yeah, no, but as soon as the lads are old enough and I've shown them the front door, I keep saying this once they know where the front door is and they're gone, I might have a drink then I, I, I I don't I never say never but I think it would take something very very monumental to make me pick up a drink again
2: yeah I try and think about and I would say that I wasn't like I wasn't a someone actually I I suggested on on social media that we do if anybody wants to join we'll do a hundred days of no booze for the start of the year and uh and also I'd mentioned that I wasn't, hadn't. this is my first time not drinking for Christmas in 30 years, which is crazy. So I was drinking from when I was 17 and, and it makes me feel old. <laughs> but, um, and someone said, oh, I didn't, re- well done. I didn't realize you had a drink problem. And straight away I was like, you know, I don't have a drink problem. And then you're kind of thinking, well, what is a drink problem? Maybe I did have a drink problem. Like I was a, a weekend drinker Uh I worked on a breakfast show so I had to be up early on a Monday morning so I only drank Fridays and Saturdays but it was binge drinking I suppose Um, and then holidays uh, I would drink every day on holidays um, Christmas summer holidays you know drinking just a yeah. few a few beers by the pool or whatever you know and it would never get out of hand but now when I think of having a drink I don't think about the of the first two or three drinks, I think of the feeling I have two days later when I'm filled with doom, uh, the sense of doom like something terrible is going to happen to me, and I'm a bad person, and I hate myself, mm-hmm. and that kind of depression, and uh, just that's that's what I try and focus on when I think about having a drink, because I I can live without it, I can go days without, it I can go weeks without, it. you know, I've I've often gone six months without, it, mm-hmm. but i'm trying to get to a point where i just i'd rather just not um if that's possible and as you say like it's hard it's it's much harder if you say you know i'm never going to drink again because that's that's that puts a certain amount of pressure on you so you try and take it day by day um and but that's the thing about you know when that person said to me have you got a drink problem you you know you said in the article you weren't a You didn't have a drink problem, did you? You weren't a problem drinker. There was no, it wasn't affecting your work or there wasn't, you know, you weren't, nothing bad was happening because nothing obviously bad was happening.
0: Nothing obviously bad. But isn't it interesting? Because I think with anything, um, there there becomes that that question or that statement, oh, I didn't realise you had a drink problem, which, you know, makes you think, well, did I have a drink problem or do I have a drink problem? The focus then becomes on whether you have a problem or not, not on whether actually having a break from it would be a good thing or, because it's now, oh, I don't have a problem. And because people are, you know, sure, I only drink uh, on a Friday and Saturday night. I don't have a drink problem. Or I, I, I only have a glass of wine. But it, it's, something is only ever a problem if it's causing you, or the, you and or those around you an issue. And for me, even when I was at the, the peak of my, as I call it, alcohol dependency, it, it, I didn't go to AA and I'm not knocking AA. I didn't go to rehab. I didn't do anything like that. I, I just suddenly, I made a decision on the 1st of November um, to not drink that month because I'd had a very big night out on the 31st and peaked very, very early on in the night. Um, and I, what I did for the month was I used to just pour a glass of diet seven up into a wine glass every evening at six o'clock. And it was that placebo effect. I never, I didn't spend a huge amount of time. I don't think I spent any time questioning whether I had a problem or not. I knew I just didn't want to feel the way I did that Saturday morning, the 1st of November and so that's all I wanted to do was not feel like that and I think had I suddenly gone down the road of do I have a problem do I not have a problem I would have created a bigger problem in stopping drinking rather than just deciding to stop if that makes sense
2: Mm. and I think that's it doesn't it makes sense as well obviously you, you 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 literally just said I'm just not going to drink and probably in your head you're thinking well December's going to be busy There's going to be a lot of nights out. I'm going to be prepared, you know, because we do that all the time, you know, and I have lots of friends who would give up drinking up until, you know, the week before Christmas, you know, to get to get ready for it and to make sure that, you know, not to put on too much weight and all that. But um, what year was that then?
0: So I have to go backwards. Uh, This year, 1st of November, this year was my 13 year anniversary.
2: Right okay so it's 13 years that's the um and so november came and went you did your 30 days you did the month and And then then...
0: i did it was nearly like i'll just do it for another week i'll do it for another week and i i'll just get because i also then i knew december was going to be um really busy and there was the lunches and going out at night and i i suddenly if i managed to do a month. And that was probably the longest I had done in a long, long, long time. Um, I had given up for about a year, less than a year, it, about 10 years prior. Um, so I kind of, I didn't want to put that pressure on myself. So I just went, I'll just keep going along with this. Cause I just, it was the feeling, it's what you were saying earlier. It wasn't the, and, and I will say the first year of not drinking, was really hard not because I missed alcohol but I actually didn't know what to do with myself in social situations I felt like a like three arms you know I didn't know what because if, if I was when, in my drinking days if I was meeting you in a pub for a drink bar for the fact I would have had a couple of glasses of wine before I left home let's say I was meeting you in a pub in town and there was a pub up the road in the ground, I would have stopped at the pub up the road to have a glass of wine to still give me courage. Not courage, it was just to to be able to be. Um, And then I would have walked into the pub, I would have gone, how are you Keith? Hang on a minute, I'll just go to the bar and get our drinks, what are you having? So I would have even come and talked to you first. I would have gone straight to the bar. Whereas now, it's a rarity that I'd go into a pub, but Now my focus is on the person I'm meeting or the people I'm meeting. I don't need that. I've taken all that away. So that, and that did take a good year. So when people, you know, I never want to preach about not drinking and, you know, it's each to their own and all of that, but it definitely, I think when people use alcohol as that distressor or that crutch and they take it away they actually get to know who they are and maybe they might actually get to like themselves.
2: Totally. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I try and describe about why, I, how I give up alcohol was the work. And I think it's important to say that as well as the work I was doing, like I started going to therapy. So, and this all happened, not this, not at the start of this year, but two years ago, you know, I started therapy. So I'm kind of two years seeing a therapist, which I love and, that got me to the point where one day it was the weekend and Suzanne, my wife, said, are going to have a drink? And I realized in that moment, because of all the work I'd done on myself, I was like, I thought about the feeling of having a few beers and how I'd feel after that. And I thought about, because I was feeling better about myself. I liked myself. I was, I'd done a lot of work on myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Had you done, up, up until, say, the 1st of November, if you look back now, are, you, are there times where you're going, actually, I'd started working on myself before that. The first of November was almost like an end point, obviously a starting point, but also an end point of some work that you had been doing on yourself at, up until that point or not.
0: Well, no, I would have I would have stuck my toe into my own personal therapy and I would have lasted maybe three or four weeks and then I would have gone, like over the years, and I would have gone, ashram grant, ashram grant.
2: But but you were thinking about it?
0: Not, no. I wouldn't even say consciously, but where it did is, if you imagine, that was the so chart, the boys would have been 24 and six months old at the time. And it must have been maybe two years later that I then went and did my degree in counseling and psychotherapy. And in order to become a therapist or do your degree, you have to do a minimum of 50 hours personal therapy. So all along, I would have gone, I don't have time to be opening up cans of worms. No, I'm grand, you know, take another glass of wine. You're absolutely fine. Whereas in order to, to um, it's probably the only degree other than say medicine or something where you are shoved out there into a nursing where you're you're put on site but to to be a therapist you have to do those 50 hours minimum and if you don't you don't pass so it's not about the essays it's not about knowing the theories it's not about knowing all about Jung and and Freud and and all of that It's actually what you learn about yourself and what you then bring into a therapy room as a therapist. Um, So I think it was at that point, I don't think I would have ended up down the road I am and become a therapist and and added on to all the other bits that I've done had I not given up drinking. Because if I was sitting, and I'm not saying that every therapist has to be a non-drinker. For me, drinking was an issue. So for me, if I had stayed drinking and I had gone down the road and become a therapist and was sitting in a room opposite a client, I wouldn't have been congruent in who I am at all. So I didn't give up to become a therapist, but I didn't get become a therapist because I gave up drinking. But it definitely, you know, it did align at the right time. Um, that this is probably the one career in what I've been doing that I'm at my most comfortable, content. Um, i probably work longer hours than I've d- done in all my years of working, but I get to be me. I don't need to put on the masks.
2: Yeah. Just I, just- I get it. Totally. I totally understand it. Um, yeah. It's, it, the other thing I try to explain to people or I try and say to people is sometimes and I don't need you don't need to get into it now, but sometimes that booze can be helpful for self-medication when, you know, you could go to the doctor and he could prescribe you some tablets or you could just go to the off license and buy a bottle of wine. And some people just need that to deal with what they're dealing with, because this is a very complex like any addiction and you'll know more about it than I will. I'm not just a lay person, but like any addiction, the addiction is the, is the solution. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not the problem. It's not the, it's not, it's not what's, it's not the, it's not what's, and even when I, and even me saying addiction is probably wrong because even just your, your bottle of wine, your two bottles of wine at the weekend Mm -hmm. is a way of, like I used it as a release from who I was and what was going on in my head. Um. And it was easier to just drink at the weekends than, and then f- throw myself back into the week, get through that, get to Friday, have a few more drinks, throw myself into the next week. Never needing to stop, never needing to, you know, deal with what was going on in my head. Um, and some people just need, it as a, you know, just to get through the week. And that's and, and and it's I'm conscious of it as well, because I don't I don't want anybody listening to this beating themselves up over the fact that because it can be a thing that oh my God, here's another thing that's bad about me that I drink at yeah. the weekends. And that's not what this is about at all.
0: No, no and that I will, you know, I mean, uh, Keith, my house is always wine. My mother is, my mother and and the El Bottle of Wine now, and because I'm, it's myself and the two boys, you know, for the last 15 years, myself, the two boys and my mum, we go on holidays. We are a package um, and we go on holidays together. And I'd be the first one topping up her glass of wine. And because mum doesn't, I'm not saying she doesn't have an issue with drinking, but it's, there's lots of people who enjoy a drink. And I, I'd i love to be one of those people, but I don't enjoy a drink. You know, whether I'd one, funny enough, whether I'd one glass of wine or five bottles of wine, I still had a hangover. Yeah, so I actually, it just doesn't agree with me. Um, so there's, that's another reason for me not to drink. And I never, ever, ever want um, for anybody, friends or or clients to think, oh, Jesus, I can't tell her I drink a bottle of wine at the weekend. It's, as you say, it's it, there's nothing preachy about this. It's more for people to understand, actually, if I'm not comfortable, if it, there's a niggling feeling at the back of my head that I'm not really enjoying whatever I'm drinking and I'm using it in a way that isn't great, then maybe I need to have a chat with somebody, or maybe I need to discuss it with somebody.
2: And also what I found was it was just stuff that I, I was able to just stop drinking once I dealt with the shit that was in my head, you know, and that was, that was kind of like, it wasn't, it wasn't stop drinking and things will get better. It was like, start looking at what's going on in your head. And then you might be able to, you know, I didn't intend to stop drinking. I liked drinking. Yeah. Um and it, you know, but and as I said, I did never really had a hangover. Uh I could always get up the next morning and do whatever I had to do. Uh but as I said, it was just the f- the feeling of shame and guilt and doom and horror. <laughs> it was the that it was that it was the Monday, the Tuesday, the Wednesday. It was that horrible feeling that I that I that I hated. And and actually I didn't drink for most this year, but there was a couple of weekends where I I did an experiment where just to see, because I wanted to know. So I had it, you know, so I drank what I would have drank before I stopped drinking for that weekend. And I was like, well, this isn't too bad. But then Monday hit and Tuesday hit. And I was like, oh, my God, this is what I don't like. This is horrible. And that's and the experiment allowed me to have that feeling very clearly in my head. Now, anytime I think of having a drink, it's like that is very clear in my head. Now, that feeling that I don't want.
0: And with, I mean, isn't it funny because there's nothing else you wouldn't go. Actually, I really like that food or whatever it is, but it's going to take three days. It's like going to give me food poisoning, which <laughs> I'll do it anyway for the crack, uh, for a good night out. You know, we wouldn't do it, but we do it with other things. But actually, interestingly, and you just when you use the word addiction, I I sort of sit on the fence with the word, and I don't, and I've never got into working within the addiction field. I think it's very specialist, and I think people who work within that field are phenomenal. And um, but what I realized is they talk about addictions as in you have a primary addiction and then other addictions. And alcohol wasn't mine, nor was smoking in my smoking days. Um, mine is actually sugar. And I would. Use...
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm just. I'll tell you, I'll talk to you. Go on.
0: But isn't it? And it, it is. And um, so I took, I was able to take, eliminate the alcohol, the cigarettes. I'm sure anyone's thinking, Jesus, she's no crack whatsoever at all. But mine was, so I was still self-medicating and pushing down the emotions, but now with sugar. And that came to the, that I would have done over the last God knows how many years. And actually second lockdown, um, was where I decided because uh, the beginning of this in in March I was the anti banana bread campaigner, um, full force. No banana bread shall be made in this house, um, and I wasn't about dieting or you know losing weight or running marathons or doing stuff like that. But by the time the second, by the time October came, I kind of went, okay, you know what? What have I learned over the last ten months? And I decided to do a little experiment. So I wanted, cause we knew we had a six week period and I went right. So for these six weeks, I'm going to cut out processed sugar uh, and as much natural sugar that I can healthily do. And that really tested me and also got me to a point where I had to really learn how to respond versus react So when the lads would piss me off as a mother of teenagers, teenage boys, that could be a daily habit. Um, So I'd be fond of the teaspoon and the Nutella jar. We'd be very well acquainted at 10 o'clock at night going, oh, God, I can't hit them. I can't leave them. I can't push them out the door. I'll just eat the Nutella. So I stopped all that. And that was harder to do than stopping drinking.
2: Yeah, I totally hear you. I like I I realized that a lot of my craving for drink was coming from a craving for sugar. And funnily enough, I had and I used to pride myself in the fact that and this is ridiculous when I think about it, but I didn't eat sugar for years. I didn't not eat sugar. Now I drank, mm-hmm. which is basically but I didn't yeah, yeah. but I was like, Well, it's beer, it's not there's not much sugar. Yeah but my craving at the weekend on a Friday was for beer was for sugar was, and that's basically what it, what was happening. And now I've realized that I stopped drinking. I'm like, I can't, I can't stop eating chocolate. Um, So I've been trying to get acupuncture and take certain uh, uh, there's, there's different vitamins you can take that's supposed to help with the craving and stuff like that. But, but yeah, totally. It was, it's, it's, it's a sugar thing, and and the sugar's nearly worse for you than the than the alcohol. It's just, in a way. Yeah,
0: it's really, and I, that's what I would. I, I've I've spoken. I've done it. I've done it a couple of times before. and I've had some sugar over the last ten days. Um, I say sugar, processed sugar, like sweets and and stuff. Nowhere near the amount that I would have in the past, and I think because this is the longest that that six week period. Of, I was really, I cut everything out just to see, and I was drinking lots of water. And if I needed to go to bed at seven o'clock at night, I just actually went to bed and just went, I'm tired. My body is exhausted. Um, and I, I like, don't get me wrong, Keith. I really, you know, throw me an, an Avoca scone the size of a small baby and I'll happily eat it. Um, I, it's not about being so healthy that nothing is any fun But I do think when you, when you use different substances and sugar, I mean, I remember reading years ago that sugar is 20 times more addictive than cocaine. Now I don't know to, to, don't, that's if someone gets on Yeah. If someone gets on and says, Jesus, that's not true. Um, but it is very addictive and it is, you can use it in lots of different ways. Um, you know you can use it as a self-soother it, it it has lots there's good like dark chocolate is good for you eating copious amounts of biscuits and chite is not good for you
2: mm. that that lovely combination of fat and sugar together
0: <laughs> throwing a bit of carbs in there sure it's great
2: <laughs> um, so- so, so, so these are things that I'm discovering about myself that actually I, it's the sugar is the problem, but, um, how, cause I know in your article, you talked about how much better things got for you and how, you know, life was better without the booze. Um, how long did it take for you from that, that first month in November? Like, cause I know like my, my year so far, like I've been very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have moments, I have bursts of energy, uh i but i also have then i'd have days where i just i'm just flat um you know and everybody's different but did it did it take you long to sort of find your mojo to to see how i mean because obviously you've gone on to to be a very successful therapist you've written uh the book the burnout solution you know and you know you, you've you found a whole new career and, and you're very successful at it did that was that a period like you know I, I I read a book um uh it was called um we are the luckiest Laura mccone and she was kind of talking about this these three years that it took her now she was she'd kind of give up for 20 days end up drinking again so that first year was very and I think she went to A as well so that was a very difficult first year and then but but it was kind of three years before she really felt okay now I feel like I that I, now, now I feel like I you know it's that feeling you have sometimes like a glimpses of it of how you felt when you were 16 you know before you started drinking you know
0: when you waited till you were 16 you were very good <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, 16 was my last year not drinking so i went till i was 17.
0: Uh, i started a little bit younger than that and um, as i said the first year was really it was definitely hard now remember at that point, you know, I was I I've been a single mom pretty much since day dot. So that first year, no drinking, dealing with uh, there's only eighteen months between the lads. Um, I was had them, you know, when the when the door shuts at night and you're on your own with them, um, a, a, a small baby and a toddler. And then I had gone college was every Monday full day. Mum would mind the boys, um. So the first year was definitely um, a struggle. And I don't think, to be quite honest, Keith, I don't think there was ever or there ever has been a eureka moment of, ah, this is it now. Uh, My life is fabulous. Um, You know, I suppose this 2020 is, is not a great year to make those comparisons to. But, you know, last year, say, if I was going out for dinner, it does get to a point by 11.30 where I'm getting up my car is outside and I'm going by. People might be going on for another drink after dinner somewhere and I'm done. You know, so you you definitely your life for me, my life definitely changed. My social life changed dramatically. And um, with that feeling of. Not you know, that that whole thing, FOMO, fear of missing out on a Friday night. You haven't gone out because you're not drinking and you don't want to go out. I don't have that. If I, I'm not drinking and I don't want to go out, I'm happy because I'm at home. Um, I'm, it, it, it was a slow progression. But I think the hardest year was the first year. And after that, I think it's all been fairly even. But if I look back at each year, I mean, I'd say if you were to ask my kids, I was probably psycho mum. For the first seven years of their life so even though i wasn't drinking i was still a stressed out mother mm. of two young boys whereas what i've learned and it was actually when i did i i did a master practitioner on nlp and i don't massively buy into neurolinguistic neuro-linguistic programming but there was a couple of things that that always struck me was you know everyone has their own map of the world and I think when I realised I don't own the lads, they're not mine. They're they have a map of the world that's theirs, and that map of the world might absolutely terrify me that things that will happen or the roads they'll go down. But I can't keep running behind them, trying to keep them on the right path. My job is to keep to feed them, nurture them teach them right from wrong but so I'm probably not as much of a psycho mum as I used to be because I'm not trying to control them even though I am secretly but but you know I think as if I was still drinking I would be I if I if I look back at the person I was when I was drinking god I wouldn't want to be those two kids living with me you know, whereas now I think the two kids, the mum they have is she's she's all right. You know, she's not bad. She's a bit crazy, but, you know, she's not bad. And for that, that's that's a really nice thing to be able to say.
2: Yeah, I think it's OK to be a bit crazy. I think that I, I think the ones you have to watch out for are the ones pretending not to be crazy. <laughs> in my experience, um. And tell me a little bit about your book, The Burnout Solution, just while I have you on, because I mean, it's it's slightly different to the subject of the booze, but it's kind of related in a way as well, because obviously it was something that you experienced and then went on to write about and 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 and, and come up with a solution for.
0: Well, you know, I talk about there's four pillars and as much as like since since i did my got my my degree i went on and i studied a little bit not not to to master's level or anything like that mindfulness nutrition i'm a certified personal trainer i did that one 2 years ago um i did a certified mediator and i i sort of anything that i went on to study after all ties in. And I wanted to be able, if I was going to talk about sugar and and, or exercise, I wanted to understand the benefits um, to doing whatever I was talking about. And I talk about the four pillars and the four pillars of prevention or recovery in pretty much anything, not just burnout, but anything, Mm. is your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and clutter and if you don't have those four corners if you're not minding them continually you can throw as much mindfulness and journaling and as i call it the fluffy stuff it's it's good stuff but if you don't you're literally just throwing things at it if you're not sleep is i'm i'm that's the queen up there sleep is absolutely and if you're not getting good sleep so if you're drinking too much in the evening You're disrupting your sleep if you're drinking too much and you're disrupting your sleep you're going to feel crap the next day which means you're going to eat badly which means then you're also not going to feel like you want to exercise and chances are your brain is cluttered and your physical area is cluttered so they all tie in those four corners all tie in and exercise is not about jumping around doing joe wick's classes in your living room It's, I call it intelligent exercise. So you might feel, as you said, you've loads of energy and you might go, yeah, I'm going to go for a run now or tomorrow you might go, oh, I'm shattered. So what's intelligent for you to do? Is it to throw yourself into doing a 5k or is it, I just going to go out for a walk? So we forget that we're adults and we're adults can make decisions and we get to make a decision whether we want to go for a run or a walk. We kind of go, oh, I have to do this because mm-hmm. I said I'm going to do this. No, no we don't. Um, and so when I, when I started putting all of those together, that's really, I suppose, the basis of the burnout solution is once you've acknowledged that you are feeling burnt out and you ask for help, then putting those four pillars in place and minding them then you can start adding on all the other really good stuff. You know, that's, that's the extra. But I think as Irish people, and actually I think people around the world, we've, we've got bad or poor at putting ourselves first
1: Hmm. and minding,
0: minding those core four things.
2: Yeah. Doing things for your nice things for yourself seems to be an issue. Um, And, you know, we live the way we live because we deserve to be to be living in a messy house and uh, to be not getting enough sleep. And, you know, we we do it to ourselves, you know,
0: oh, I remember doing it. I do a lot of of corporate uh, work and I remember doing a talk, an in-person back in the day in January talk. And I'm up on the stage and I'm giving it socks and I'm saying, you know, I'm talking about the difference between self-care and self-kindness. And uh, I was saying, you know, imagine, imagine if something happened, and you weren't able to get to the hairdresser because you called the hairdresser your self care, and for some reason it was closed, or the gym was closed, or the golf course was closed, and literally, who would have known? You know, less than six (laughs) weeks later. But that's because people go, oh yeah, no, I've had a really bad week. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and get my nails done on a Saturday, or I'm going to play around golf, or I'm going to do, you know, whatever it is, because that's what they call their self-care. Well, you take all that away, and you're left with yourself, as a lot of people in the last year have. So what you do then? Now you're left with your self-kindness. So how you think and talk to and about yourself is your your self-care, and your self-kindness. It's not the external stuff. External stuff could be taken away at any given moment, so you need to be able to still sit with yourself and be okay—not fabulous, just be okay. It's all we ever need to be.
2: Yeah, that's the one thing I learned as well from therapy. Is like I, you know, I thought happiness was an important kind of word or thing, and I just realized that contentment is the thing that 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 contentment is great. You know. Um, just to sit in your own house with yourself and, and your family and just be happy to be there and not, you know, not thinking I need to be going. Where are we going this weekend? When's our next holiday book? When's are, you know, what's next? What's, you know, what, what are we doing tonight? What, you know, where you just sit there and go, this is great. You know, just this um, contentment is very important before I let you go, because you've been very good and you've given me lots of your time. Uh, Siobhan, what's uh, twisting the jar is the name of your Instagram account. What's twisting the jar?
0: Okay, so very quickly, I'll keep this as quick as possible. When I was about five, uh, my mum mom was about 32. She actually worked in an ad agency, and she was newly single. Um, she'd separated from my dad. We were back living with my granny, and mum uh, went to work and she had a brain hemorrhage, and she was paralyzed down her left side. She was in hospital for a good few months came out and god love her she um then had a nervous full-on nervous breakdown a couple of months after that because she couldn't cope with not being able to do what she'd been able to do previously so anyway she's she's um uh, she gets full use of her limbs back still slightly weaker on her left side and uh what stage i was about 15 mum and i We're now living in a grotty little flat in Rathmines. And she had set up one of the first employment agencies in the 80s in this country when we were in the depths of a recession. Amazing woman. Um, But she was, as I said, slightly weaker on her left side. And we're standing in the kitchen, nothing in the fridge. And she was making spaghetti bolognese and she didn't have the power to twist the jar. So she said to me... you open that for me and I was a real grumpy 15 year old and I tried really hard and I couldn't do it and she said close your eyes and visualize yourself twisting the jar open and I did and it was that lovely pop I can still hear it that lovely pop sound and when I qualified when I got my degree and I was setting up my business and I was coming up with Siobhan Marie this and Siobhan Marie that and I don't know why but twisting the jar came into my mind because what it represents is there's loads of ways Keith to twist the jar open you can twist the jar by stabbing it on the top with a knife you can run it under water knock it off the edge of a counter and do all of those things which most of us do when we're on our own or we think we're on our own or you can do what my mum did which is she asked for help to twist the jar open. So that was only one component of what she was doing in her life in that moment. And that allowed her to go back to doing what she was doing. So instead of going, I'm not strong enough to open this jar, twist this jar open. I'm not good enough to make dinner. I'm not doing this. I'm a failure. The negative chatter that our brains have. And that to me is what twisting the jar is. What I do what I hope that I do with people is I help them with one area of their life so that they can go back to being the best version of themselves that they want to be and that they can focus on. So twisting the jar is about, sometimes we need to twist the jar ourselves. You know, it's not always about asking for help, but a lot of the time we're a hell of a lot better when we ask for help as a collective than we are as individuals.
2: Well, I think we leave it there. That was, uh, it was great talking to you. Um, I learned a lot. Um, and uh, thank you very much. Thanks for writing the article because it was, very, I mean, obviously this time of the year, it's a tough time of the year, but but I think January is a good time for people to look at habits and changing habits and that kind of stuff. So it was a very helpful uh, article to read. And uh, best of luck with um, with your work, Siobhan. And, um, thank
0: you so much. It's lovely to talk to you, Keith.
2: I will be following your Instagram account with, with a lot of interest uh, at Twisting the Jar. And have a good day.
0: And you too. Take care and happy new year.
2: Happy new year to you. Thanks, Siobhan.
0: Take care, Keith. Bye. bye, 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 bye.
2: <laughs> yeah, I like that. Twisting the Jar. You know, you can ask for help. Um, and that will allow you to get on what you're doing. It doesn't mean you're helpless just to ask for help. Twisting the Jar. It's a nice image. And I will think about that when I need help. And they won't mind asking for help. So thank you very much, Siobhan. Uh, Twisting the Jars, our Instagram page. And uh, the book is called The Burnout Solution. Let me just see if I got that right. Da, 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 da. Sorry about this. Uh, the Burnout Solution. I'm right. At Gill Books. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram as well. And you can buy that through them. It was great talking to Siobhan. Really enjoyed that. I, I mean, I'd love to have just talked to her about her life with goldie to be honest with you um but maybe we'll we'll do a podcast just on that uh, uh, at a later date anyway if you're interested in any of the things we talked about and you're interested in maybe knocking the booze on the head for a little while i am doing a thing called 100 days of no booze so you can follow me on instagram it's a keith walsh underscore walsh on instagram and there is a um an instagram page set up it's no booze 100 no booze 100 and we've got quite we've got a couple of hundred people doing it at the moment so there's a little community building up and uh there's a whatsapp group and we're sharing tips and uh encouraging each other now it's only like we're just not even halfway through day one yet so uh you know early days but you know promising so far um and i talk about things like how much you'd save after 100 days if you didn't booze and what you might do with that money and those kind of incentives And uh, I'm going to try and um, keep those incentives going. Do something every day. Anyway, give us a follow. Uh, If you're not interested in any of that and you just like the podcast, uh, do um, uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Rate the podcast. Uh, Five-star ratings are the only ones that work at the moment. And uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, You can email the show or the podcast, keithwalsh.walsh at gmail.com or keithwalchpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I got to go get this edited finished up and then i'm going to enjoy my new year's day dinner thanks for listening as always have a great new year goodbye 2020 coming at you oh yeah what's that charlie you preferred 2020 did you fair enough some people do